uh, in the third world, uh, it's probably most likely guaranteed to be a lot worse. So keep Mylene in your prayers that God would provide for her and provide a job so she could have an income to provide for her family. Pray for her pastor, Pastor Regal, for his church and uh, the believers there in the congregation. Uh, pray, he asked prayer for the teen ministry, the Awana ministry, and for funds to help with those ministries. So continue to keep that little church in the Philippines in prayer. They are going through a lot more than um, we currently are. So continue to keep them in prayer. All right, that is it for our prayer requests. Uh, if you did not get a prayer request up to me in time for me to announce it here, it can still be put on the prayer chain. And that's that little brown box over there. So uh, if you want to get a prayer request in, just write it down, put it in that brown box, and Keith will get that and put it on the prayer chain. And we can all pray for each other as a family throughout the week. Okay, that being said, will you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you. And Lord God, we exalt you. You are our king and our God. And you are, like the song said, our beautiful savior. And Father, because of what Jesus has done, we can, we can bring our requests before you, Lord God. And Father, we bring these requests before you. And we lift up Carl and Father, we pray that you would protect him from this virus, Lord God, that he would not get it. And Father, we lift up the Haydocks, Dwayne and Maggie, and with their daughter. Father, we pray that you would heal the damage that was done in that heart. Lord God, we pray that you would guide these doctors. And the skills you have given them, Lord, you would guide their hands and guide their minds to treat her. And Father, we pray that you would heal her. And Father, we also just lift up Dwayne and Maggie, that you would comfort them and give them your, your peace, Lord God. And you would just comfort him through all this. And we pray for the rest of the family also, Lord, for the same, the same peace. And Father, we lift up our brother, Pat, Pastor Pat, to you, Lord God. And we ask for a speedy recovery to his knee. We ask that uh, you would heal the nerve damage and that you would just heal the knee and that he'd be able to get back to work soon. And Father, we just lift him up to you. Father, we lift up our brother Christopher and pray that you would heal his insomnia, Lord God, that you would give him strength and uh, give him, Lord God, uh, peaceful and sound sleep. And we ask that you would do that, Lord. And Father, we also, we lift up our brother Kelly and pray, Lord, that you would give him your peace and your comfort that as he copes with the loss of his father and the peace of knowing that even though he's not here on this planet, he is in the presence of his almighty Savior. He is in the presence of his king, and he is experiencing joy and happiness and peace beyond what we could even comprehend. So, Father, we just lift our brother up to you, Lord God, and pray that you would give him your peace through this. And, Father, we pray for Shirley's daughter, Beth, Lord God, that she would be strengthened. Father, that uh, you would protect her from the enemy. And, Lord God, that through this trial, she would come to know you deeper and deeper. And, Lord God, that you would protect her through this trial and that you would, um, you would touch all involved and that in the end, everyone would come to know you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, we lift up, we lift up Mylene, Lord God. We pray that you would, you would continue to give her a heart of worship, Lord God, and that you would provide for her, Lord God, that you would provide for her family, even in these times when things are getting scarce and things are getting beyond our means to purchase, Lord God, we pray that you would provide for her. And Father, that you would provide work for her, that she may earn uh, an income for her family. 
We lift up Pastor Regal, Lord God. Be with him. Strengthen him as the shepherd of his flock. Lord God, we pray that you would strengthen him and encourage him and give him boldness to proclaim your word. And Lord God, we pray that you would provide for his church and provide for the ministries that they are they are seeking to start and have started to reach out to their community there in the Philippines. And Lord God, we lift that church up to you and pray your protection upon it. Lord God, in your strength and boldness to all those who are there. Father, we thank you. Lord God, take this service. We lift our pastor up to you, Lord. We ask you that you would anoint him with your Holy Spirit, Lord God, that your word would be claimed from this pulpit in power, that your word would go out from this pulpit and impact every single one of us. Father, we ask that... Uh, in the anointing of our pastor, Lord God, you would embolden him, Lord God, that you would cancel out the flesh, that the faulty wisdom of man would be put away, and that your word would come through loud and clear. Father, draw us closer to you through the preaching of your word. Lord God, give us ears to hear your word as it is proclaimed. And Father God, may we be changed today by the hearing of your word, that the victories of yesterday are just that, they're yesterday. May we move on to higher ground. Father, we thank you and praise you. Above everything else, Lord God, be glorified in this, in this service this morning. Be glorified in all that we say and do. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Pastor Phil. service and uh, uh, it was like boy what a low turnout but it was on that Sunday it was the daylight savings time and so right early on in the sermon all of a sudden a whole bunch of people started trickling in and also uh, with the baptisms we're going to do them right there 6 p.m. Uh, this this coming Sunday uh, March 20th if you're a believer if you are trusting in the true Jesus of the Bible alone for salvation and you're not baptized, you're actually disobeying the Lord. So just let you know that um, uh, if you do believe in Jesus, you are trusting in Jesus for salvation. Um, we can have uh, water baptism right over there. Uh, and if, if you want to do that, see Willis or D and give them your full name so we can get that for the certificates. And... Um, and again, I'm going to say thanks so much for help on Marcus's memorial. We we had more people than we had chairs, so we had to get an extra 30 chairs up here for everybody. And the, the, the guys helped out, but the ladies really helped out preparing food. And, uh, and then we moved all the chairs downstairs, and there was a good time of fellowship afterwards and just a, just a real healing process for the family. The family was very very happy and um, so and again um, Alan and Corey here so make sure you 
Make sure you say hello to them. Give them their space, though. You know, give them their space. It's a, they've been, been through a lot, and they've got a lot more to go through. But with the, by the grace of God, um, you know, they'll, they'll have a full, full comeback and all. But uh, So say you, say you love them and stuff like that, but don't smother them. And, uh, and, uh, but um, whatever the case, uh, so right now we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3. We left off at verse 17, and then we're going to probably, if there's enough time, move right on to uh, uh, chapter 4. And so we have the handouts from like the last few weeks, Philippians 3, 1 to 21, and we have the handouts for Philippians 4, 1 to 9, and we'll probably just get into Philippians 4, 1 through 9 today and then maybe finish it next Sunday. And uh, so if you need handouts, uh, you can either go up there and get it or just raise your hands. Maybe somebody can get them to you. Um, So let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. We'll be picking it up at Philippians 3 and verse 17. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we love you, Lord. And um, we've had so many blessings, so many privileges, so so much freedom and prosperity and good health here in America because of the faith of our forefathers. But now we're, we're trying to kick you out. We've been doing that for as long as I've been alive, trying to kick you out of America. And so uh, we're going to reap the whirlwind. And um, uh, But the good thing that comes out of that, Lord, is that we start to depend more and more on you and less and less um, upon our government and ourselves or whatever it may be. And so remind us that you alone are Lord and that you promise in your word to meet our needs, but in the end, all we need is you. And so um, as I preach your word today, I pray that it would be your word that is preached, that it would not be the faulty wisdom of man, that you'd cancel the man um, and that you would anoint me with your spirit so that I would proclaim your truth and that I would not lead anyone astray. I pray you open hearts and minds, including my own, to receive your truth from your word and empower us by your spirit and for your glory to apply these truths to our lives so that we could be pleasing in your sight to the power of the Holy Spirit. May we live for Jesus, not ourselves, May we live to glorify you, not ourselves. May we live to build your kingdom, not our own. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Amen. So, after Philippians chapter 2, where Paul tells us, put others' needs before your own and live a life of humble service, and then he gives us the perfect example of that how Jesus humbled himself by becoming a man and dying on the cross for our sins, okay? He took our shame for us. And so we're to do all things without complaining, grumbling, or disputing. Um, We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Don't play games with Jesus. Jesus is either your Lord or he's not, okay? So don't be, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who kind of wonder, gee, how much... uh, sinning can I do and, and, and still really be 
uh, a born-again Christian, those are, those are not the kinds of things you need to be thinking about. Some people think, what's the minimal I have to believe to be saved? Look, Paul says to set that bar as high as it could possibly be. He even says, you know, try to attain to the resurrection. So Paul says, look, I'm of the true circumcision. I put all my confidence in Jesus. I put no confidence in the flesh. He, he leaves his past accomplishments in the flesh behind. He gave up everything for Jesus, and now he presses towards the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It should be your goal. It should be my goal to be all that Jesus called us to be. It really, it really bothers I me. Mean, I mean, there's good answers to the question, what's the minimal a person has to believe to be saved? I mean, that's a good question, but, but not if you're trying to apply it to yourself. I want to do the bare minimum, you know? I want to go to heaven, and then, you, then it's easy, too, to make fun of those really weird Christians who are just sold out for Jesus 24-7, and they don't have any quote-unquote fun. Okay, well, they don't have fun in the eyes of the world, but they have the joy of the Lord. And when you get to heaven, don't, you're not going to be able to complain in heaven. And how come he got all those rewards and I didn't? Okay, so um, a lot of people, it's just like, um, you know, I'm saved, I'm done. No, no, you're saved, you get a new start, and now be all that God called you to be. Press on towards the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul continues to talk about that, about let us walk, let us march by the same rule and be of the same mind and be united in serving Jesus and living for him. In verses 17 to 21 now, he talks about our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here on earth. Verse 17, brethren, joy in following my example. And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. And so Paul tells them, look, just follow my example. He, he also, you know, mentioned... Uh, uh, earlier, uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus, two other guys. You could follow their examples of humble service as well. So he's saying, you know, follow my example. You have us, me and my colleagues, you have us for a pattern. Uh, you know, how many people, give me a show of hands, um, unless your parents, if your parents are here, just, just look down. Uh, but how many here have had parents that said, don't do as I do, do as I say, okay? And um, what, for you? That's very few of you grew up in New Jersey. Um, but uh, now, now sometimes it's, a good, it's, it's right because, you know, uh, if your dad wants to have a little bit of wine at night uh, and a five-year-old kid wants some, it's no, no, don't do as I do, you do as I say. No wine for you. And, uh, but, uh, but sometimes you hear that in areas where, you know, what was it, that, that old movie, uh, Christmas Carol or Christmas Story, whatever, where the little boy's getting in trouble because he said a very bad word. And, uh, and he didn't want to narc on his dad, but he got the word from his dad, so he threw one of his buddies under the bus who didn't really say it, so there was a long domino effect of of boys all over the community getting their mouths washed out with soap, um, which is now child abuse, by the way. Uh, and uh, 
but uh, but whatever the case, so often it's uh, it was, you know, don't do as I do, do as I say. Paul could say, just follow my example. Paul could say, I'm on fire for Jesus. I live for Jesus. By, by the way, if you, if you think you're living for Jesus and everything's going good, I wouldn't brag about it because you're not really sure, you know? But it, if you think you're living for Jesus and they're beating you up like the Apostle Paul and he's getting kicked around and he's lost so much because he's taking a stand for Jesus, then it's a lot easier to tell people, yeah, uh, just follow my example. But um, I'm telling you, if you don't practice what you preach, don't preach. And I'm not just talking about this pulpit here, okay? There's too many hypocrites who profess to be Christians that make God-serving Christians, makes their job much, much tougher. Um. I'm even thinking of a non-believer right now who is contemplating the possibility that C.S. Lewis could be right and maybe Jesus really did die for our sins and really did rise from the dead. And he weeps when he talks about it. He said, it, if, if that really, really happened, that changes everything. And he weeps about it. And then he says, but I meet Christians who act like it's, you know, I love Jesus, but it's business as usual. It's not that big of a deal. And so he's having a hard time believing because he looks at us. Okay? Um, C.S. Lewis said the greatest argument for Christianity is Christians. And the greatest argument against Christianity is Christians. It just depends what Christians you're looking at. And so isn't it nice that Paul... When he tells us to follow Jesus and Jesus' example, when he tells us to follow God, isn't it nice that he can also tell us, you know, follow my example as I follow Jesus' example? And hopefully that for all of us, myself included, hopefully we'll practice what we preach so that when we preach the gospel, because see, there's some people who when they preach the gospel, they push people away from Jesus. You might have somebody say, you know, I was thinking about becoming a Christian. I was thinking about Christianity. But then this guy, who's a real jerk, who talks down on everybody, treats everybody like trash, I just found out he's a Christian. And he's always talking about the Bible and quoting verses and judging people. If that's what a Christian is, I don't want to be like that. You know? Now, we do have to remind people, you know, we're not preaching Christians. We're preaching Jesus. So because some professing Christian is messed up doesn't mean that somebody should not follow Jesus. Okay? But I'm telling you, people do not have to accept the messenger to accept the message. But they're a lot more likely to accept the message if they think the messenger really does love them. And if they think the messenger really lives consistently with the message that they preach. And so Paul could say, follow me, 
follow my example and follow the example for my colleagues. Well, Paul, I need a pattern. I need some kind of boundaries, some kind of strategies. And just look at us uh, as you have us for a pattern. Then in verse 18, he says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And, and so he's saying, don't follow the enemies of the cross. Follow my example. As I follow Jesus daily, you know, Paul's being all that God called him to be. You know, a lot of the people he's preaching to, God didn't call all the Philippians to preach. Okay? He didn't call all the Philippians to be pastors. We have different gifts. But whatever your gifts are, use them for God's glory and live for Jesus, not yourself. Paul could say, follow my example, but don't follow the example. I weep about it, but there are people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. And it's very sad, but from this letter, you can see that some of the people who are enemies of the cross of Christ profess to be believers. In Kitsap County, I'm sure that we have, you know, quite a few enemies of the cross who still claim to be Christians and Christian leaders. And that's the kind of thing that would make Paul weep. There was one in Bainbridge Island. There was a, a, an old buddy of mine, Jeff Bradley. And he sat down with the guy and Turned out the, the pastor was new age. And the pastor believed all of us are, were God. And Jesus isn't uniquely God, and he didn't die on the cross for our sins. Everybody's going to be saved. He believed in reincarnation. And Jeff got so mad at the guy, he told the guy, you need to take the cross down from your steeple because you're misleading people and put up a big rainbow. At that, at that time, rainbow was real prevalent among the New Age movement. Now, they stole it from us and from Noah. But, um, but whatever the case, there's an awful lot of churches that have a cross on top of the steeple of their building. And you know what? They're enemies of the cross. I, I tend to think I'm more optimistic than a lot of Bible-believing, Bible-preaching pastors, I think there's, I wouldn't be surprised if there's hundreds of churches in Kitsap County that are preaching the gospel. Problem is, so few Americans are hungry for God's word. That's why I appreciate the flock here. Because a lot of churches, they start preaching the meat of the word, and people are gone. They want, uh, they want to be told what they want to hear. Okay? And um, so, but I do think that there's a lot of really tiny churches, some of them meet in the homes that are part of the remnant and they're not even big enough to uh, advertise and stuff. We were there for most of our 30, 34 years. So, um, so praise God that there's a remnant. But Paul could say, don't follow my example. Don't follow the example of those uh, who are enemies of the cross. He would include in that group the, the Jews who would say, in order to become, if you're a Gentile, in order to become a believer and trust in Jesus for salvation, you have to first get circumcised and convert to Judaism. Uh, Paul said, no, that's not, 
You know, God's covenant with Israel is one thing. Uh, the new covenant, it's supposed to bring the Jews into the new covenant. Uh, but if they don't trust in Jesus, they're not saved. But with Paul, you're an enemy of the cross if you say you're saved by the Lord, the cross of Christ plus something else. Paul says there's no middle ground. You're an enemy of the cross. We're either saved by the cross of Christ alone or we're saved by human effort. There's no in-between. Don't, don't it. I'm trusting in Jesus plus fill in the blank for salvation. And um, we end up in the evangelical church with all these uh, bandwagons to jump on, some new fad. And Christians will act like if you didn't get involved in this newest fad, this, this good. some of these fads are actually good, solid, biblical things, but never elevate a good, solid, biblical thing above the Lord Jesus and his word. And... Um, and then they act like you're a second-class Christian if you're not on board uh, with that fad. And um, um, so salvation through Jesus alone, not Jesus plus something else. So, so Paul says that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction. So, you know, they're facing the eternal flames of hell. Their end is destruction. Whose God is their belly? Okay. Now, is he saying that these guys are gluttons? I don't really think that's what he's saying. I mean, it's possible. But I think what he's saying is that these guys are more concerned about physical nourishment. And, you know, all the things that Paul laid behind, all his accomplishments in the flesh, these guys are still into that. So... Physical food is more important for them than spiritual food, okay? And so um, he says of them, these enemies of the cross of Christ, their end is destruction. You know, if you're looking for eternal life, it's only through the Lord Jesus. Eternal death, eternal damnation is for the enemies of the cross. Their God is their belly, so they're, out, they're looking out for themselves, not for the Lord and whose glory is in their shame. Okay. Um, look, the human race was naked and not ashamed. The last verse of Genesis 2. Then we disobeyed God. We sinned. We got so ashamed of who we were that we tried to cover ourselves before God. By the way, evolutionists have never really explained why humans all over the planet wear clothes. You can't say, well, because it's cold outside. There's some parts on planet Earth that are not cold outside at all. And praise God, the people still cover their, their private parts. And um, sometimes you'll see, you know, little tribal kids running around, and then you'll see a nine-year-old boy, and you realize he hasn't reached the age of accountability yet because he's nine years old, and he's still running around totally naked. And... Uh, with something to tell, we reach a point in, in our lives, we realize, I'm not perfect the way I am. Something's wrong with me, and I'm ashamed, and I need to cover myself. Okay? And um, Jesus took our shame on the cross. What Paul is saying, that these guys, they're not looking for the future glory that will be revealed to us when Jesus comes back. 
They're content living within the shame of the fall. Okay? Um, you know, Sigmund Freud, uh, the atheist psychologist, he did a lot of studies, and he talked about the two main drives and human beings are for power and lust. Okay? And, um, but Sigmund Freud had no doctrine of the fall. So instead of saying, hey, that's wrong, you're not supposed to uh, push people around, be power hungry, and be lustful. Um, that's a sin. Those are sins. You need to stop doing that. You need to look to God for help. He didn't believe in God. He didn't believe in the fall. And so it was just like his glory was his shame. You're human. That's just the way you are. And he really didn't believe in right and wrong. Um, and, um, and so a lot of his counsel was just, just uh, uh, out to lunch. And, uh, but, but the idea that these guys would glory in their shame. Look, if you glory in your shame, you're not going to want Jesus. Because Jesus took your shame for you. Okay? Uh, but there's some people that they, they are proud of the way they are. Now, there's like obvious examples of it. And then there's not so obvious examples of it. Uh, somebody who's an enemy of the cross and is glorying in their shame could just be your next door neighbor who's real nice. You know, you go away on vacation, they mow your, their, your, your lawn for you, and they don't even, you didn't even ask them to do that. And you're real nice. But you sit down at the kitchen table with them, and you share the gospel message. And they say, oh, that's good for you, but um, I think, I think I, I'm doing enough good things. I'm a good person. God's not going to kick me out of heaven. God's going to allow me into, into heaven. That's an enemy of the cross. That's someone who's glorying in their shame. They think their shame is good enough. It's like Cain. He thinks his, his offering of the work of his hands is good enough. Okay? He doesn't need the ultimately worthy substitute sacrifice the Lord Jesus. Other times, people who glory in their shame is real obvious. I'll give you an example. It's not politically correct to say this. Someday it'll probably get uh, Christians locked up for saying it. Uh, we're supposed to have freedom of speech, but you say the wrong thing. If it's politically incorrect enough and you take off enough people, they're going to they're gonna cancel you. You know, got a guy online that says, cancel culture is a dress rehearsal for genocide, and I think he's right. I don't think he's exaggerating. But gay pride parades. They are glorying in their shame. They're not only sinning against God, they're also sinning against nature, the way God designed their, their bodies to be. And they're going, to going totally against what God designed human sexuality to be. And they glory in it. And they boast in it. Okay, if you're boasting in your shame and you're boasting in your sin or you're just at least OK with it, you don't want to change. You are an enemy of the cross. OK. And uh, and so these guys, they're enemies uh, of the cross. And, and Paul sums it all up about these guys who are enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction. Scott is their belly whose glory is in, in their shame, he says, who set their mind on earthly things. What's the difference between us 
and the enemies of the cross? They set their minds on earthly things. What about us? Look at the start of verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven. Okay? And I'm telling you, we've had it so good here in America. Don't, don't get me wrong. We need to be politically active. Some of us can be more politically active than others. But we need to stand up. I think it would be wrong, I think it would be wrong for us to ignore unborn babies and the sanctity of their lives. And I think it would be wrong for us to just say, you know what, uh, uh, totalitarianism, Marxism, dictatorships, that's okay, I'm okay with that. Well, they, that's been the number one serial murderer in the history of mankind. More, kills more people than wars, big governments in the 20th century alone. So we need to stand up against that. And most of us, most Christians are proud to be American because of how God blessed America so much based on the faith of our forefathers. So it's, it's like we're proud to be citizens. Before the Civil War, people would be proud to be citizens of what state you were from. After the Civil War, it was kind of like we got a little more top-heavy, a lot more top-heavy, and you were proud to be an American citizen. And uh, there's a certain amount of pride. I'm, I'm proud to be half Portuguese and half Italian. Just out of my love for those cultures and uh, my dad's side of the family and my mom's side of the family. Uh, but in the end, when everything's said and done, uh, the gospel is not politics. There are implications of the gospel where we need to stand up to defend the lives of others, okay? And to speak out against injustices and to stand up for human life because we were created in God's image even though we're fallen, and Christ died for us. So those are worthwhile things, but just remind yourself over and over again, as an American who stands up, believe me, I do it as much as every, anybody else does, and as an American who stands up for our God-given rights, which our Constitution was, was made and was supposed to, our government's supposed to protect our constitutional rights because they're given, they're inalienable, they're given to us by God. They're not given to us by the state. The state can't take it away, okay? And so um, I'm, I'm right there with you, but we got to remind ourselves, as we stand up for America, we're citizens of heaven first and America second, okay? We're in a transition period right now. People are talking about how evil the Russian government is. <coughs> And look what they're doing to the Ukrainians. Uh, yeah, the Russian government's evil. Uh, do a little research. The Ukrainian government is not too good. The American government, we're getting to the point, we are getting to the point where we're kind of the leaders of the American-European-UN New World Order. And Russia's feels like they've been getting the shaft, and so they're mad at us. Now, who, who are we concerned about? Well, I, I'll tell you, you can quote me on this. All governments on earth stink, okay? That's my political theory right now. All governments on earth stink. This is not, Tommy Jefferson died a long time ago, okay? This is not Grandpa's America, okay? Uh, all governments stink. Some governments stink worse than others, I can't tell which ones stink more anymore. 
So what am I praying for? I'm praying for God's protection of the Ukrainian people. I don't like when people get targeted. By the way, I'm consistent on it. So I'm not a popular guy, even in conservative circles. I don't even like when the American government bombs innocent women and children, non-combatants. So I'm consistent on that. And a lot of people, oh, they hate when Russia does it, but they don't mind when we do it. And, uh, and so uh, we need to be good citizens here on earth. But we got to remember we're good citizens on earth because ultimately... We're really citizens of heaven. There's an old saying, don't be so spiritually minded that you're not of any earthly good. Well, it's actually false. You can't be too spiritually minded. Okay? The more focused you are on the Lord and the more you depend on him for power, the better uh, you'll, you'll be uh, serving uh, not only the Lord, but serving others in this life. But our citizenship is in heaven. Look at verses 20 and 21. The, the, the enemies of the cross, they set their mind on earthly things. Okay? Our citizenship is in heaven. Our focus is on heavenly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. You can write a book on, on those verses. And, uh, but our citizenship is in heaven. You know, no matter what you're doing, you could be, you know, you could be feeding the hungry, you can be preaching the gospel, you can be working hard at work to take care of your family, uh, but technically if people ask us, hey, hey, what are you doing? We, we ought to be able in some sense to respond, I'm waiting. Well, you're really active. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really active. I'm doing what God's called me to do, but I'm waiting. Well, what are you waiting for? I'm waiting for Jesus' return. Okay, we've got we've got to have this mindset that, you know, I'm telling you, I I suffer from it, too, where it's like, Jesus, I want you to return soon. But just wait till I die peacefully in bed at the age of ninety five. Okay, well, wait a minute. There's a little bit of glory in my shame there. Okay, it's like, look, Jesus, I can't wait for you to return. In the meantime, I'm going to serve you with everything I got. But come, Lord Jesus, come. Maranatha, the rallying cry of the early church, should be the rallying cry of our church. If it's not, we're too earthly-minded. We're not acting like citizens of heaven. And so our citizenship is in heaven. We wait for Jesus' return, okay? So whatever we do, we do it for God's glory, but we do it in expectancy of Christ's return. We wait for Jesus' return. He is our Savior. Paul calls him our Savior, our Lord, and Messiah. Okay? Um, Never, ever forget that you don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve heaven. That if Jesus didn't become, if God the Son didn't become a man and die on the cross for our sins, we would still be hell-bound today. 
Jesus is our Savior, and he alone is our Savior. Okay? He alone is Lord. The word in the Greek here is kurios, but that was the most common word used to translate the Old Testament Hebrew into Greek in the Greek Septuagint a couple hundred years before Jesus walked the earth. It was the most likely way. Kurios was the most likely word to be used to translate the word Yahweh. So in a religious context, Jesus is called Yahweh, the God of Israel. Jesus is Savior, he is Yahweh, and he's the Jewish Messiah, the ultimate Jewish king who will not only has provided salvation for the Jews, and when most of the Jews rejected it, salvation went, went to the Gentiles. Praise God, I'm, I'm a Gentile. And um, um, I'm willing, even Jesus used that expression, I'm willing to take scraps from the master's table. Okay? And, uh, but uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the Jewish Messiah. He's going to come back someday to rescue that remnant of Israel uh, that through the trials of the tribulation, their hardened hearts will be chipped away and they'll turn back to Jesus for salvation. But the Lord Jesus, he is the Savior. He is the Lord. He is the Messiah. Read Zechariah 14. You know what that tells me in modern language, modern terminology? Zechariah 14, uh, at least verses, well, but the first eight or nine verses. That talks about Jesus coming back to defeat the New World Order. Because you got all the nations on earth invading Israel in the last days. Okay? And, um, and then the Lord Jesus will come back. Now, by the way, even there, I'm not saying the Israeli government is perfect. I'm, I'm telling you, the governments of this earth are into power. Um, you know, you, you submit to the governing authorities, but you don't trust in the governing authorities. But it's Jesus who's going to come back. Government's not going to save you. God instituted government to protect you, but right now government is it's getting to the point government is more likely to kill you than to protect you. Government is not your savior. We are, what we're looking at today is the deification of the state. Well, I'm telling you, our citizenship is in heaven. It's not on earth. Jesus is Savior, uh, not the government. Now look at uh, Colossians 3. Verses 1 to 4. Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Paul says this, If then you were raised with Christ... And that means if you trust in Jesus for salvation, you've spiritually been raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, the old you is dead, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears then you will also appear with him in glory. See, your focus is either glory or shame. Shame, you're just like, look, Lord, just leave me alone. I like the way things are going right now. I want a glory in my shame. But if your focus is on glory, it's like, come, Lord Jesus, come. Okay? We got to, you know, one side of the coin, we got to be tired of this godless, sinful world. 
We got to say, Lord, I'm, I'm weary. I'm, I hunger for you. I thirst for you. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And then the other side of the coin is, in the meantime, until you get here, through your power, and through studying your word, and through prayer, and fellowship with other Christians, in the meantime, I'm going to try to shine the light of Christ in the midst of the darkness of our world. And, um, but um, we wait for Jesus' return, but we have to, our citizenship is in heaven. We have to focus on heavenly things, not things on earth. Look at Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. This is good. It's only 1025, so I can go on for... And, uh, all right, uh, Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not lay... Jesus is speaking. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. So, you know, you might be saying, like, well, you don't understand, Pastor Phil. I'm in a business where... If I give 100% like God wants me to, I just make more money. Fine, just don't build treasures on earth. Use that money for God's glory. Uh, find out people you can help, ministries you can help. But do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. You know, I mean, a guy like Bill Gates, George Soros, um, those guys are laying up, they're not only laying up treasures on earth, but that's not enough. And Jesus said, what does it profit a man who gains the whole world and forfeited soul? These guys pretty much own the whole world, and they're still not satisfied. I, I, can't, I, it doesn't, I don't understand why some billionaire living in one of his five to ten mansions would be so frustrated and so angry that Phil Fernandez still drives around in an automobile, in a personally owned automobile. It's like, dude, just leave me alone. That's why we pray for the Ukrainian people. They just want to be left alone. But you know who else wants to be left alone? Probably the teenage Russian soldiers who didn't even know what they were getting in when they were sent to the Ukrainian border until they had to cross the border. We got, and we're, we're okay with that. We're okay with the United Nations sending, it used to be sending our boys. Now we're sending our boys and girls to fields of slaughter for some UN thing. I mean, it's like, look, we should not, we should not set our minds on earthly things. And so many leaders of government, they lie to us about why we're at war and this and that. And what we got to, we just got to love Jesus and we got to be heavenly minded. So do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Feed that hungry guy. Feed that homeless, hungry guy down the block, okay? But if the guy loves Jesus, okay, don't feel sorry for him. 
Feel sorry for the Soroses and the Gates. Okay? Don't, don't just think about suffering poor Christian people while they're here on earth. Think about where they're going to be a minute after they die. And think about the Gates and the Soroses and um, Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum. Think about where those guys are going to be a minute after they die. Okay? What was... Uh, who was that? Uh, Mr. T. I'm going to quote Mr. T from the pulpit, probably. But he, but he had that real profound philosophical statement that he made once. Uh, Pity the fool. Okay? Uh, Paul says... Paul says, you reject the God who revealed himself to us through creation. You profess to be wise, but you make fools of yourself. So we got to start. We're pitying the wrong people sometimes. Okay? Yeah, I don't want to be martyred, but when people are getting martyred, yeah, we love them and we pray for them, but you want to pity somebody. Pity the fool who rejects God and is an enemy of the cross. You know, an enemy of the cross, you know what that means? We've declared war on God in the garden, and they're still okay with that. So I would say pity the fool who declares war on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Peter, Paul, and John. The God of you and the God of me. We, we, we have our pity parties and this and that, and we get down, this and that. But we've got to get our mind off of earthly things, get more heavenly-minded, and, and have the, choose to have the joy of the Lord, which Paul's going to tell us in a few verses. We'll get to it next week. Choose to have the joy of the Lord. Okay? I'm not asking you, and Paul's not asking us, to step out of reality into a fairy tale world. Paul is telling us, if all your hope is in this world, if your mind is set on things of the earth, you live in a fairy tale land. And you're a fool. Set your mind on heavenly things. Okay? Look at eternal reality and focus um, on Jesus. So, you know... Build, build treasures in heaven, okay? And, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not into uh, trying to focus. I want to win this crown and that crown and that crown. Some, some Christians do that, and I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just, just, it's just not for me. All I know is Jesus says, you want to be my disciple, you want to be my follower, deny yourself, deny your own sinful desires, pick up the cross, whatever mission it is that God's given you, He's given us all a mission. Pick up a cross and follow me in what? In the path of obedience to the Father. So I'm just focused on bearing my cross. Okay? And um, I'll let Jesus determine what crowns I get or don't get. That's his business. My business, I just got to carry, I got to bear the cross. Um, if you're married, the, the, the number one thing in your ministry is your family. Okay, um, and then beyond that, it's like, okay, what has God called me to do? God may have called some of you uh, to, to be carpenters, to be me- mechanics, uh, 
to have to work at the shipyard, whatever it may be. God may have called some of you to be preachers. Um, but God's called us all to share the gospel message. And so we need to be all that God called us to be, and we need to wait on Christ's return. Now, we wait for Jesus' return. He's Savior, Lord, and Messiah. And then Paul tells us Jesus will transform our lowly bodies. They'll be transformed, changed from within, into his glorious body. At the resurrection, our mortal bodies will put on immortality. Look at 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3 and verses 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God. If you're trusting in Jesus for salvation, you're a child of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, when he returns, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Verse 3, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So if your focus is on heavenly things, if you're a citizen of heaven and you, you live in the expectancy of Jesus' return, okay, that's going to help purify you. So like Paul, we could try to attain the resurrection knowing that until Jesus comes back, he's not going to complete the work that he started in us. But what does that mean that when he's revealed, we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is? It's talking about our glorification bodies, when our bodies will be raised from the dead and our bodies will be glorified. A little bit of insight into that. Paul's letter to the Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 it's, a, it's an outstanding chapter on the resurrection, not only a defense of Jesus' resurrection, but based upon that, an explanation of what our future bodily resurrection will be like. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 to 44, and then we'll look at verses 50 to 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 44 so also in the resurrection of the dead, the body is sown in corruption. Our mortal bodies that corrupt get buried, get sown. The body is sown in, correction, in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. What gets raised? Guess what? The same body that gets buried. Same body that you die in that same body is going to be raised. However, it is sown in dishonor. It's buried in dishonor. There's that shame. It is raised in glory. It is sown or buried in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Now, a natural body is a, the word for body is soma, uh, and that's soma sukikas, soma sukikas. So it's a body 
that is soulish. That's the body you have right now. So somehow, some way, shape, or form, it's, it's controlled by the soul, the human soul, and the, the, the life principle uh, here on this planet Earth. But it's going to be raised a spiritual body that's soma, still a body, soma pneumaticon, a body controlled by the spirit. So somehow, the bodies we have right now are soulish bodies. They're going to become spiritual bodies. So if you translate a spiritual body um, as, if you translate it as a natural body, the body we have now, then you should translate the resurrection body as a supernatural body. It's not less. It's perfected and it's more. Okay? If you want to call it a spiritual body, then they should also call it a soulish body. At least, at least be consistent on that. What, and when we see Jesus, we're going to be like him. We're going to see him as he is. We're going to be like him. What was he like? His resurrection body. Most of us underestimate the resurrection body where we think Jesus was, you know, for 40 days he was hiding under a canoe because he only appeared probably on Sundays. Was he hiding from people? Um, was he outside the upper room? He looks around, makes sure nobody's looking. He floats up in the air, seeps into the wall. We think, wow, with the resurrection body you can travel through walls. Look, it's, it's a lot more than that. Where was Jesus most of the 40 days? Probably at the Father's right hand. And then when he said, you know, I need to be in the upper room, he's in the upper room. So it seems to me that with our resurrection bodies, there'll still be bodies that, like Jesus, you can still eat food. That's good. You're not going to need to, but you can still eat food, and that's good. I kind of got attached to eating food here on, on planet Earth. And, um, but, uh, but you can still eat food. People can touch your body. He told Apostles touch his wounds, but he was traveling at the speed of thought. Okay? Um, like, um, it, you know, if I say Hawaii, you know, in your mind, you go off to Hawaii. You think of a, a beach, the ocean, palm trees, but you're really stuck here. When your mortal body is raised to immortality, you're not going to be stuck here. Okay, and um, and so Paul is saying that's what we ought to focus on, uh, heavenly things and the uh, the uh, resurrection body. Now, First uh, Corinthians fifteen, starting at verse fifty. Now I say, then, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Basically. If you went to heaven in your body right now and were in the presence of God, you'd probably melt. So as we are right now, flesh and blood, we cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. Okay? And, and then Paul talks about death, our final enemy, is swallowed up in victory when Jesus returns. But our mortal bodies must put on immortality, okay? So at the resurrection, our mortal bodies will put on 
uh, immortality. So, so we gotta we gotta think. Don't just think about who you are. Think about who you're gonna be. You know, don't get prideful. You're not. You, you haven't arrived. You have not, as Paul said. He has not yet attained to the resurrection. This is going to be a beautiful thing. You're God's poem, God's work of art. But God's not finished with you. But you need to live in expectancy of Christ's return. And then Paul says there, ending Romans uh, 3, that Jesus, uh, King Jesus, he will subdue all things to himself. Jesus will reign supreme. We'll close with, Psalm 110, verses 1 to 2. If you want more information on how Jesus is going to reign supreme, uh, when you get home, uh, read Revelation 19, starting at verse 11, through Revelation chapter 20, through the end of that. And you'll see how Jesus uh, will shepherd the nations with an iron rod when he returns. But Psalm 110, verses 1 and 2. The Lord, Yahweh, said to my Adonai, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord, that's Yahweh, shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. Okay? The Lord Jesus is coming back, and when he comes back, he's going to reign supreme. He's going to shepherd the nations with an iron rod, and he's going to change us in a twinkling of an eye so that our mortal bodies will put on uh, immortality. That's where our focus should be. Now, I'm not telling you, you know, if somebody's suffering, don't be like Job's so-called friends. Uh, be merciful with them. Comfort them. Yesterday we got to comfort a family that lost a great Christian man at age 51. And so you comfort others. You weep with those who weep. You rejoice with those who rejoice. Okay? But somewhere along the line, we've got to remind people, just like we did yesterday, and they knew their family was open to it. They loved Jesus. You know, it's like Yogi Berry used to say, it ain't over till it's over. Okay? It ain't over till our king comes back takes his stand upon the earth and makes things right on planet earth and shepherds the nations with an iron rod. And not only will he reign supreme, but he's going to change me. And he's going to change you because we need to be changed. We need to be transformed. And then we'll attain the resurrection of the dead. In the meantime, remember we're citizens of heaven, don't set your mind on earthly things. Set your mind on the eternal things of God. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, remember Jesus' death uh, for us on the cross. It gives us some time to, to pledge allegiance to Jesus and acknowledge our citizenship in heaven. Amen. All right, our guys are going to pass out the elements. 
And as it says in 1 Corinthians, we are going to celebrate the Lord's death until he comes. I always love that. Because obviously, in that, we understand his resurrection. Thank you, Pastor. That was an amazing message. We pray beforehand that God's truth would come out and impact us. Amen. Amen. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. We're going to have a moment of silence where we contemplate what the Lord has done for us through his death and resurrection on the cross. And then we're going to have a time of worship as Chris leads us in a song. Before we do that, I couldn't have thought of a better message that ties right into the Lord's Supper. We celebrate the Lord's death until he comes. What a future we have. Amen? Amen. 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 This is a blink in the eye. This is a vapor. Yeah, this vapor may seem long sometimes. The trials may come. But really, like I've said so many times before, fix your eyes upon Jesus. That means fix your eyes upon the cross, fix your eyes upon the resurrection, but fix your eyes upon the day when he will return. We will be caught up to meet him in the air, and we will return to earth with him. And he will reign for a thousand years, and we will be with him. What a future. The oligarchs and the politically corrupt will do what they're going to do. Evil will do what it's going to do. But like Pastor Phil said, and like the Word of God says, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. My citizenship's not here. I don't know about you, I'm kind of done with political parties too. I'm done with allegiances except for what we do right now. This is our allegiance. This is our creed. And it is Christ and his sacrifice, his death, burial, and resurrection that binds us together. You may be from somewhere else. You may be from a different ethnicity. You may be from a different culture. You may be from halfway around the world. Or you may be my, guy, my neighbor next door. We may be completely different or have a lot of things in common. It doesn't matter because the thing that we have in common that binds us together is Christ. And we share the same future. We share the same eternity. We share joy forever. Everlasting peace in the presence of our Savior, in the presence of our Father and the Holy Spirit for time without end. That is what we celebrate here today. That is what Jesus has purchased for us and by accepting that, and by laying our lives down and saying, 
I will follow you because what you have done for me for the rest of my life, that is what we do here this morning. We're going to tell, like I said, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But right now, I want you to take time and you can kneel. We're not against kneeling. You can kneel in your seat right where you're at. You can bow your head um, however you wish. Let's come before our Lord. And if you need to repent, repent. If you have had a great week and God has granted you and worked victory through you, well then, go before him in thanksgiving because he has chosen to do that through such weak vessels as us. But whatever this is, whatever you need to do right now in silence before we partake of these elements, do that and then we will, we will end that part in worship and then we will take the Lord's Supper. So let's go ahead and take this moment of quiet. Magnificent Holy Father I stand in awe of all I see Of all the things you have created Still you choose to think of me And who am I that you should suffer? Your very life to set me free The only thing that I can give you 
is the life you gave to me This is my offering Dear Lord This is my offering To you God And I will give you my